0: Welcome to the Force Matters podcast, powered by Motusi. I'm J.D. Romick,
1: And I'm Jonathan Ang. We're here to have disruptive, inclusive, and informative dialogue at the intersection of technology, research, and clinical practice. Our promise, to sort through the BS so you don't have to. Our focus is what matters to your musculoskeletal health. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Forest Matters podcast. This is John Eng here, and I got Maddie Walsh with us from our Motion Science team. And um, you know, we're going to do a mailbag episode today, a bit of a follow up to that awesome discussion we had with Nathan last week. And um, M- Maddie, how are you doing today?
0: I'm good. I was uh, I was I was pretty stoked about listening to Nathan. He struck me as someone who. Uh... Was kind of mature beyond his years, um, so I'm happy to sort of give my little bullet points and hear yours, and maybe just bounce those back and
1: forth for the listeners. Yeah, you know, I think um, what really struck me is his sort of just at like at the at the tip of his fingertips, his sort of kinematic knowledge of of everything baseball. Yeah. Um, I mean, man, he was rattling off everything from what was normal what you need what you expect to see from fatigue um just it was it was remarkable um you know and I think we'll get to the point of like kind of forces and like what what his insights were but um yeah i it was a it was very clear that he is a is a schooled and experienced upper extremity um and throwing specialist
0: yeah agreed yeah, it was good. It was good to listen to. Um, it made me think, you know, probably like a lot of clinicians that when this is not your cup of tea, um, that you can sometimes get overwhelmed by it's another area of expertise and you don't know about it, but your goal is to try and pull out of it. What can I use in my practice? Like mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of baseball throwers, pitchers, you know, hitters, anyone. I don't see, I don't mm-hmm. really see baseballers. Um, but it made me harken back to, I used to see a lot of cricket players and I played an extraordinary amount of cricket myself. Sure. Um, and uh, and so the language was was familiar in many regards. And But Tyler actually made a comment afterwards that was fascinating to me where he he went, it makes me think of running in these ways. And so he oh, could yeah. see the parallel between those two. So I sort of challenged the, the listeners like maybe we should challenge each other all the time to go... This may not be your thing, but, hey, listen Listen to the spaces between what he's saying and go, that's my thing. You made a comment, for example, about, um, oh, it's kind of like looking after any tendon this way. It behaves this way. We look after the 24-hour rule, for example. Um, I thought that was a nice way to sort of sp- spread out to we are, we're, we're sharing sort of strong principles across a variety of uh, specific uh, instances. Uh-huh. So... If I, if I pull on that thread for a second, um, I really like the idea of rather than just giving sort of generic speak to uh, everybody's program is individualized, he went, here's how you do it. <laughs> because if you don't do it this way, it never works. You need to check in with people. So you, you text them, you call them, you get back to them, you have a way of interacting with them where you say, how did you respond to the workout? So load response. Isn't that a phrase we all use? All right, well, let's ask how the response was. (laughs) So, and if the response is what you expect, stick to the plan, if it's not, modify it. How do I do that? I do that with rate of perceived exertion and i having a relationship with somebody where I actually trust what they're saying is the truth. And I get a decent enough relationship that yes, I'm talking about forces and body response and fatigue and tissue response, but I'm also asking them about, uh, did you have lunch at McDonald's yesterday? They're they're willing to sort of share that with me and say, yeah, you know, I had crappy food yesterday. I didn't really sleep that well last night. Yep. So you need, I like the holistic side of it, but also the specific side of it. And you started by saying like his specifics were fantastic. You've got to you've got pull from that. You've got to be able to say, I know the sport better than anybody. I know the mechanics well, and I, you know, I know this side. Of, I look come from a biomechanical side. I love my kinematics, and I'm starting to implement technology and that's where we should be, (laughs) you know, but he didn't deny that you've got to have a relationship with people. You've got to actually have one-on-one skills. You've got to be able to say to a young kid, um, okay, I'm going to scare you right now. (laughs) Yeah. On purpose. Purpose. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that you and JD got a little back and forth about, uh, you know, is it different for boys and girls? Yeah, of course (laughs) it's different. It's different for everybody, but Can we sweep a big brush? Maybe the boys have a bit more, a bit more generally. It's, it's, you've got to be more direct because they're going to be stirring the pot and challenging it a little bit more. But that's not saying that it doesn't happen for girls. Of course it does. But I appreciate that, you know, we're looking at how do you get direct with somebody about saying, here are my goals and here's why. Because we only get one shot at a post surgical side of things. I think if we took that and went, we know the stats on re injury. We could say exactly the same thing for an injury. We could say, Uh guess what? You sprained your ankle? You only get one shot at this. Uh Because if you do this twice, the stats don't start looking good. Uh You're gonna get secondaries. You're gonna get joint changes. You're gonna get all these other things that happen. So let's do this right from the start. Uh LSI return to sport says 90% plus. That's great. We're going for 110. Not just Uh because this is America and every time we have to make a bigger number, wave our flag. But because, but because we want you to be stronger than, better than you were before, so that confidence is guaranteed, and that so you can beat that statistic of the likelihood of re-injury. And if we can get you through two years, we know we're out of the woods, you know, because the number drops off dramatically. So I really appreciated the way he did that, and how you guys kind of pulled out some of those really good
1: clinical bits for it as well. I um, was. you know I I think I was still kind of blown away on like there wasn't a ton of uh, a lot of it did still seem very kinematic which we know um like we just had this conversation kind of off recording but like how important kinematics are because that's what that's the world we live in right because we don't aren't don't have that access to kinetics right but it 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 struck me that someone so high level in this uh, sort of discipline is still very much focused on the the kinematics, um, and obviously that's probably why he's interested in the technology and all this other stuff but um, and yet still really successful, right so it's like what what I take out of that is how exciting it is to be able to add a deeper layer of understanding of those kinematics um, for an expert like that
0: yep. Yeah, we, we we were chatting offline about this thing that a patient often gives, a client gives back to you when they really understand the problem and, and they're on board and you get it and they get it. They say they see the problem or they see it now. You know, They kind of have this, and he mentioned this as well, how valuable that is that the visual side of it is another way of representing that the narrative makes sense. It's like yeah. I understand the plan makes sense and I, now I can see it. I can see that pronation is a thing that I never knew properly before. And now I understand why my knee is drifting in. So, the the visual, the kinematic side of it, is is the is the real human side of it. We see ourselves as this thing that moves in these ways, but we know that behind that there's sort of the there's the ether, the thing that's connecting this all together. That's a real old school word to use, <laughs> um, but it's it's that sort of like you can't put your finger on it, which is force,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we know that that's what's driving it, right? We Call it energy. I have a lack of energy. I have a lack of... But he also had language around it where he would say, you know, force transfer. So I know that the hips are critical and we've proven that they are in the way that somebody throws. If I had to pick the lowest hanging fruit or the thing that I wanted to focus on the most that I know is going to make the biggest bank for my bucket it would be the ability to transfer forces. Mm-hmm. And that that tends to lead us towards, you know, sort of a central stability component, which obviously includes the hip. Mm-hmm. So... He's talking forces, but he's, but he's using kinematics because that's the thing that relates to the client, relates to the athlete. And also I like that he said that's also what relates to the coaches. The coaches are still thinking about kinematics. It's the language that they understand, know, and can have access to with A, their level of skill, and B, the fact that they're trying to visualize stuff. But they're not naive about the idea that, I think I see this, it looks like you're slowing down, Let's have three other ways of measuring that and observing that. And so now we can, we can have more confidence in saying, okay, you're slowing down. You're getting the same output, balls as fast as it was, for example. Uh, bat speed's the same, but the way you're putting it together, we can now prove through these little quick tests, whether they're flexibility losses, which that was my biggest takeaway.
1: Flexibility mm-hmm. loss during
0: mm-hmm. an activity is parallel to fatigue. It's basically saying you've lost strength. Uh And it made me go off in my world and say, how often have I wanted to, but don't seem to work out the practicalities of getting somebody tested when they're fresh, getting somebody tested when they're fatigued. And and Uh I think I want to know more about the, the rate at which I expect people to degrade in their strength or flexibility testing pre and post. So that I can now start to say, oh look, <laughs> your eccentric control at your knee and landing is degrading by twenty-two percent and it really only should degrade ten.
1: Yeah, it's really that's a great point because you know it seems like this is really well established in the upper extremity, but like we don't do this in running. We don't we don't do this sort of fatigued mobility testing and you know, what could we be learning? And I mean you and I've worked with some of the best runners in the world, <laughs> and we've—that's we, not something we do. Isn't that crazy to think of?
0: It is crazy. And the only time we take them—we take them to fatigue—is when we do lactate threshold testing or VO2 maxes or something like that. We don't look at—you know we used to have a picture years ago of Galen uh, that was pretty public knowledge of, of this picture of him at the beginning of the the US 10K Championships um, on the track, and then in a picture at the end. It's just his foot strike. It's just a comparison of the pre and post foot strike. And the, and the foot shape is completely different, right? Mm. So the foot has moved into a more pronated position, everted position, and he's almost fallen out of the shoe, right? And it's a, it's a sort of an expected attrition of the movement. But maybe the better runners in the world have a little less of that. Maybe they start with a certain way, or maybe they just adapt to it in a way that when they do go to that movement, they're still really efficient. Mm-hmm. All right? They don't they don't lose, let's say, the pop on their soleus that we've measured before when they're fresh. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you've still yeah. got ninety percent of your soleus, you know, reactive strength index, mm-hmm. you know, but you don't have it in the recreational population. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have you can have pretty runners who, when they get fatigued. They might still look pretty, but the way that they're creating that movement is, has degraded in, a, in an asymmetrical fashion.
1: Yeah, you know, and we've talked about this before, about, let's say, the marathon, right? And how the, the, the strategies will change over the course of, of a race. And, um, you know, I feel like there's so much for us to learn about um, overhead athletes in that same regard. Right? Because how do you throw 120 pitches like over and over and over again without, uh, without adapting, like with fatigue and, and whatnot? Right? I, I, you, you'd think that that would be a similar process.
0: It has to be a similar process. And I, I appreciate that he talked about the typical throwing mechanics, the middle of the bell curve. This is what we expect to see. But that we expect to see that when all the ranges of motions and the and the relative strengths are pretty much in the same ballpark as well. Okay. So we have someone who loses they don't have flexion in their shoulder. They simply don't have as much. Well, they're going to have to modify their technique and we see people with kind of low side arm type releases because that's their efficient strategy. It's the same thing uh-huh. as it is same thing as is with running. We uh-huh. see people like Safan Hassan, who has a lot of valgus in her knee and yet st- still finishes in the top three at the World Championships last week. Uh-huh. So why? Because she's efficient with what she's got. Super efficient. And movement variability is healthy, right? So get the same output, but do it in different ways. Or, could, or create a variety of movements that still solve the same movement problem. And, you know, as, a, as an old cricketer, you know, who used to have a variety of pitches that I would present with, I knew that when I fatigued, the ones that I could pull out that were better were different right? than mm. they were when I was fresh, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I couldn't
0: get away with as much, so I had to choose a different particular way of, of coming at it because my shoulder couldn't handle it anymore, my back couldn't handle it anymore, I couldn't generate the whip in it that I needed to. So mm-hmm. you adapt, you know. you know, every athlete knows that they do that, they adapt when they're fatigued. So I appreciate that he... Talk to that, but he also recognized that those extremes of you know, kind of the freaks of nature are always going to be there, uh, that just talking about pitches, which is what he spent most of the time talking about, I see that as, uh, as a batter to go, oh God, I hate facing this person because he looks nothing like, or she looks nothing like anybody else that I've had to come up against. I don't know <laughs> what to focus on. So you're trying to pick up a cue early and the cues don't look the same. So there's an advantage to the abnormality, to the variability. Mm-hmm. And I, I I like the idea that we we work with the middle of the bell curve, but we have to be able to explore the extremes because we're going to mm-hmm. see them. And sometimes you almost want to encourage their their ability to work within those extremes as well.
1: You know, I want to encourage... Uh, everybody to listen to the actual episode um, and 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 in addition to us droning on about what we you know what, what we talked about in there um, any sort of last or you know a couple couple takeaway points that you feel like you just really you know really want to tease people with or get them to say you know go listen to this more um, in the in this podcast that we just that we just did with Nathan.
0: I would say have a, have a have your computer open or your notebooks open and when he quickly rattles through things like stuff that's very obvious to him. Yeah. Loss of lead leg, hip internal, internal rotation, or loss of trail leg, abduction, external rotation and plantar flexion, like whatever those little patterns were. Yeah. There was just gold in those
1: moments. Those were clinical pearls for sure.
0: So I would I would go with that. The other thing of like here are typical things that I'd expect to see that the dominant arm has X number of degrees of rotation more than the other side and you know we've talked about Gerd in these ways but really I just want to see this Mm -hmm. those like on the ground moments where he sees so many of these that he's so comfortable with those numbers Um, get those so solid in your system that that you can do that either with this pitching population, or you can you can do say challenge yourself to do the same thing with your population. Maybe you work with volleyball. Maybe you work with tennis players. Maybe you work with swimmers. Take another overhead athlete and say, "Do I have this information about my sport or my yeah. population?" And if I don't, I'm going to start counting beans. I'm going to try and find a way to just test it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it forced me right. to go back to the clinic and try and do something very simple on my running population, for example. Where I went, you know what? I haven't really, I haven't really got a handle on knee extensor torque. So, mm. so I've just started calculating torque.
1: Um, hmm. And how are you doing that specifically? I'm
0: just doing it with a, with the dynamometer. We're just doing Look. max tests. We do it in we're doing the three angles, and we measure the length of the limb. We, we convert it all to the metric system. Good luck, America. And uh, and we turn it into Newton meters per kilogram.
1: Okay, so seated and with a, with a rigid strap and then...
0: Okay. force dynamometer set yeah. up in the same way,
1: you know. Three angles, meaning what, like 20... Yeah, 90,
0: 45, 20.
1: Okay, got it. Okay.
0: 90 for sheer just massiveness yeah. to it that people really crank into that nicely. Do that one first. Forty five twenty get a little bit harder. You know, make sure you get your angle off the off the shin, you know, set well. And um and give them the same cues. You know, they've got to anchor their hip to the surface really effectively. But we're trying to make it a in a way that I put the clock down and how fast can I do the left and the right so I can get it done in seven minutes. Um and it's still just the first week of doing it, so I'm hoping I can get it down to five minutes and that I can walk away and say, okay, your talk is A, and Mm -hmm. for this age group and this population, for the data that I know for the moment, it's more or less than it should be. That's it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Uh, And the clinical thing that pushed me to it, other than Nathan's talk, was that somebody said to me, "Uh, I'm quad dominant. And I'm like, what the hell does that really mean? <laughs> you might feel like you've got nice quads, but they might, be, they might be strong for you, but nowhere near strong enough for what you actually want to do. Or yeah. they might be uh, that you just feel them because they're working all the time, you know, because they're actually weak. So yeah. being able to give people better answers and change the
1: course of treatment that way. I love it. Well, thanks for recapping a bit and, uh, bring in, you know, bring in a, a sl- you know, kind of just that follow up angle on, on some of that stuff that, that Nathan was talking about and we got to talk about last week because I think there was so much in there that I, we, we really, I I'm felt like we needed to just have a minute to breathe and then be able to talk about it a bit. So appreciate you spending the time and, uh, Everybody out there, thanks. This is John Ng and Matt Walsh. And uh, until next time, keep moving. You've been listening to the Force Matters podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and really want to hear from you.
0: Visit us at our website at motusi.com. Our new Instagram handle is at Force Matters podcast. DM us there, participate in our Force Matters mailbag segments and just keep following along. Until our next one, keep
1: moving.